So as most of you know, I have been going through an elder discernment process for the last nine months. Uh, I think it's actually coming up closer to a year at this point. But uh, that means that for the last 10 months or so, every morning or every week, I should say, at 5.45 in the morning, I meet with either Paul or Nathan, our other elder, and basically dive into God's word. With the exception of the one time where I showed up at the Vroom's house at 4.45 in the morning, and I don't think that he was, he was too happy about that. But uh, I've, I've really, really uh, want to thank you for your prayers. I'm, I'm really excited that I get to stand up here in front of you for the first time and actually just explain God's word and, and, and let you know that this process has been a, an awesome, awesome growing opportunity for myself, my wife, my family, my extended family, that I have developed a, a deep desire for God's word. And I think along with that, there's hopefully those of you that know me have have been able to see a growth in me and not just something that I'm, I'm kind of telling myself that I'm learning more, I've got all this information, but that you, you maybe see that in my, in my speech, in my actions, in my service. It's something that maybe, you know, what do you want to say, like flows out of me. It's not just something that's kind of going on in my head. Um, so I want you to continue to pray for me. Uh, I think this, as Paul said, this is kind of one of the maybe pieces on my, my learning process, but it's definitely something that's going to make me continue to learn, continue to grow. It's not, you know, hey, today's the last day. I'm, I'm good to go now, but it's, it's definitely something that I'm continually struggling with, continually diving in, continually picking apart. So uh, I ask that you continue to, to pray for me as well. So when, when Paul ultimately first asked me to preach or I like to call it politely nudged me and said that I was going to be preaching today. Uh, I, 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 I thought a lot of things. One, I'm nervous. How am I going to do it? You know, I'm going to stand in front of people and I'm going to instruct you how to die apart and, and tear apart God's word. But I think as I spent over a month or so, probably I was telling Nathan, maybe a hundred times I've read this text, I've, I've gotten very very comfortable with it. So I pray to you this morning, or I pray that this morning that I can deliver and share God's words with you effectively. As an elder, part of the requirement, as Paul mentioned, uh, as stated in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1.9, is to be able to teach. Titus 1.9 states that he must hold firmly where the word is taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict. So this ties in perfectly to what I'm going to be talking with you about this morning, and that's biblical leadership. So please open your Bibles to verses 17 through 38. It's located on page 929. We are going to be focusing this morning on 17 through 21, but I do want us to all get the full context of the passage. So, so, page 929. And again, I will assume that everybody can hear me very clearly, correct? Okay, good. So, let's go ahead and look again. Acts 20, page 929. We'll start at verses 17. Now, 
from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I have lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plot of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction awaits me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remember that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessity and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and being sorrowful, most of all, because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And he accompanied him to the ship. This is the word of God. Last week, Paul read from Acts 19. And our text is obviously from Acts 20. So to get everybody caught up, whether you were here or whether you weren't here, to kind of bring you full circle from where he was to where we are today. Paul was in Ephesus preaching and teaching and reaching many people. Then a group of people ultimately turned on Paul because of his preaching. There was a group of craftsmen that ultimately wanted to plot to get Paul because he had told the people about the Christ and told them not to worship idols. They, being the craftsmen, obviously didn't like Paul messing with their livelihood. So they set up a town hall meeting to discuss what Paul was doing. Paul caught wind of this and wanted to himself, but the disciples knew better that if he was to go, what would happen to him? Paul then goes where he stays for three months, but the Jews are plotting against him for teaching again about Jesus, and he left again. Paul then raised from the dead Eutychus, and then after traveling to different places, he lands in Miletus. So as we get started, 
diving into our text this morning, I want you to keep this kind of central in your, in your thought process. Biblical leadership is not the same as the world's definition of leadership. I'll say it again. Biblical leadership is not the same as the world's definition of leadership. The world says that what? Leaders should be strong. We should, leaders should be assertive. They should be able to lead in tough times. They should be good examples to those that they lead. All those things are awesome points that I don't think any one of us would disagree that that's what leaders should be. But the thing that is missing is this awesome book that we call the Bible, right? When we base leadership, when we base how we speak, when we base how we act, when we base it and it's rooted in this, I don't believe that we can go wrong. That biblical leaders answer to who? God. And should want to serve God in all that they do, in speech and in action. So let's talk about why biblical leadership is important and needed for a church. So we're going to start diving into our text. When we look at verse 17, Paul is traveling on his way to Jerusalem, but stops to speak to the elders of the church. Now, I think most of you probably have in your Bibles at the top of 17, it says Paul speaks to the Ephesian elders. So it's important to keep in mind that when Paul, throughout this text, Paul is specifically to the elders. When we look at verse 18, Paul, was, Paul reminds the elders of what God had done through him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. Paul stating here, from day one of my arrival, I have been an example to you. He's declaring, this is who I am. Follow after me. Follow my example. And what example was Paul sharing? He was preaching, he was teaching, he was boldly proclaiming God's word because he knew the eternal consequences of being obedient to God's word. So our first point for this morning, right, if they have that up there, biblical leaders are examples of Christ. Biblical leaders are examples of Christ. Thank you, Todd. Paul spent two years traveling and preaching. So when we look at verse 18, what better way to lead than to be an example yourself? Jen and I talk a lot about how do we best be leaders to our kids? And how do you ultimately, how do I show the gospel to them? And it always seems that we come back to service. How do we serve? Well, in our church, we have the opportunity every fifth Sunday to, to do fifth Sundays. And ultimately what that is, for those of you that do not know, is every month that there's a fifth Sunday, we as a church get together and we serve the community that we surround. We also, my wife has started this past Christmas baking cookies to give away to our, to our neighbors. Uh, we explain tithing to, our, to Elijah. I've helped one of our elder neighbors shovel the snow. Now, again, all these things by themselves are good moral things to do. Again, if they are not rooted in the Bible, all they are is good moral things to do. I think that as a family, we try to lead our boys 
by the statement, follow after me as we follow after Christ. This is exactly what Paul was doing to the Ephesian elders. He was letting them know that he had lived a life that was gospel-centered, and because of that, he was able to command they come alongside him and do the same, leading by example. We see this in 1 Corinthians 4. Paul is stating to follow after him as he follows after Christ. So ultimately, who should we be modeling ourselves after? The second thing I want to point out about biblical leadership is biblical leaders humbly serve the Lord in tough times. We obtain our humble service example from Christ. 1 Peter 2 states, Christ suffers for us, leaving us an example that we should follow. Acts 18.3, Paul is in Corinth and helping Aquila and Priscilla make tents. In Acts 14, Paul is teaching in the synagogue and healing. And at the end of 14, Paul is declaring all that God had done. In Acts 16, Paul and Silas are beaten and thrown into jail. Through this, what happens? The Philippian jailer was converted along with his entire family. Paul also writes in Colossians 3.23, When you work, work as if what you do is for the Lord and not men as your reward will be an inheritance. Paul is letting us know that there is an internal reward for our service, not just a pat on the back and boy. As a leader of my family, my job is to humbly serve my wife and my kids. As right, most of you know from last week, I finally have a job which starts on Tuesday, which I'm pretty jacked about. But how do we, how do we through or let me go back and say, for most men, our, our, or all of our manlyhood or part of our manlyhood is, is represented in the job, right? So when we, don't, when we don't have that, that takes a big hit to our, to our ego and ourself. So I tried to think outside of that, how do I still lead my family? How do I still guide them? How do I still humbly serve my, my wife and my kids? Well, my wife was working. I made sure the kids were taken care of. I did the chores. I ran errands. I made sure that I was still serving, even though that maybe one part of my identity wasn't, wasn't in the forefront. Again, we serve because we have been served. How awesome is it that as a body of believers, those that are following after Christ and seeking to be closer to him, that as we do these things, there is a reward waiting for us, and that is an eternity in heaven with God. Who and what should be our example of servant, servant leadership? It's Christ. Philippians 2 states, nothing is pointed to us. Everything is pointed to Christ. No service out of selfish desires. I think of service with no expectation, right? We serve to serve. We don't serve because I'm looking to see what Todd's going to say and give me a good job, Mike, because you moved some Bibles or good job you kind of wipe the windows down, or good job, you know, Mr. Windsor, because you cut the grass yesterday, right? We shouldn't be serving with the expectation that we're looking for people to point to us. Everything should be pointed to Christ. I think of serving when it's tough. I think about the cameolas. For those of you who do not know the cameolas, they are um, a, a family that our church supports who's serving in Joss, Nigeria. I think of how easy it would have been for them to say, hey, we're going to serve 
you know, once in a while downtown Chicago or maybe serve in Florida or somewhere nice and nice and warm where we could just kind of, you know, be nice and happy and enjoy the good weather. But they decided to uproot their family from this area and go to Joss, Nigeria. And I bring that up because every time that I've heard Emily or I've heard other people talk about the Camiolas, it's always that they are always pointing everything they do to Christ. I've read every time, the couple times that we've had little videos for them, their blogs, uh, John's post on Facebook, everything that I hear him say is pointed to Christ. Everything that's going on in the ministry that they're doing, it's all pointing to Christ. When we look at verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plot of the Jews. I found the definition of humility is the quality or condition of being humble, modest opinion, or estimate of one's own importance, rank. That's the world's definition. A biblical definition of humility is a personal quality in which an individual shows dependence on God and respect for other persons. So let's stop and think for a second. We have Paul. He's been traveling through Asia. He's been preaching the word of God for three years. He's been planting churches. People are coming to Christ everywhere he goes. People are coming after him everywhere he goes. How easy would it have been for Paul to be scared? How easy would it have been for him, like I say, to, to get a big chest or lots of machismo, right? Who knows what machismo is, right? Lots of, you know, I'm yeah, I'm the man. You know, everybody come to me. I like that, by the way. Um, so very easy for him to do that. But again, what does Paul point out? That not only is he serving the Lord, but he is doing so humbly. Paul repeats himself when he is talking to the Thessalonians. So if you could turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 1 through 8, which is located in your pew Bibles on page 986. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, page 986, 986, 986, I still hear people flip, 986. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shameful, shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext of greed. God is witness. Nor did we see glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being a desirous, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also ourselves, because you had become very dear to us. Paul is stating to, again, not look to other people for acceptance, but to God. Also, that as an apostle, he could have flexed his muscle, but he made a decision not to 
and ultimately wanted to put the focus on impressing God by sharing the gospel. What a great example of leadership we can incorporate into our lives. At the end of verse 19, we realize that now Paul has been serving with humbleness, tears, and through some tough times. What were some of these tough times? Well, we can reference back to verse 3 when the Jews were coming after him. We should also look to 2 Corinthians 11. I also want you to turn there to page 970. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 through 33, page 970. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 to 33. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure of me, of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is made to fall, and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. He who is blessed forever knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Eretus was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. Somehow, Paul still endured and kept following what God wanted him to do. This has to be an encouragement to us as believers, that no matter how tough the times are that we face, we serve an awesome and powerful God who will give us strength to endure. My third observation this morning is biblical leaders preach and teach God's word. Biblical leaders preach and teach God's word. Verse 20, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. Here we understand the importance Paul is saying. I spoke all of God's word to you, the Ephesian elders. I told you everything you needed to know anywhere I could. I also find it interesting the verbiage that, that was used. I did not shrink. Obviously, Paul's not shrinking. But what is he saying? He's saying that through serving you, the elders, and being an example to you through my words and actions, that I was bold. Now, I've used the term bold a few times. Where does Paul get his boldness? In Ephesians 3, Paul says he gets it from Christ. Paul is stating, I was strong in declaring anything to you that was of benefit concerning God's word. Today's equivalent of shrinking might be the word punk out or back down. Okay? I also want us to take a look at the words declaring to you anything that was profitable. What was profitable? That's a question. What was profitable? God's word, right? God's word is profitable to us. 
okay? The definition of declaring is to announce and make known. So I want us to think about what Paul is saying. I not only was an example to you and was bold in my actions, but I announced and declared to you all that was right according to God. Why was this important to tell the Ephesian elders? Why was Paul so focused on making sure they were equipped? Well, if we look back at or flip forward to verse 29, it states what? I know that departure, fierce wolves will come in among you and not sparing the flock. So Paul had the foresight to know that he needed to what? Train, equip, make sure the elders were prepared because Paul knew that somebody was going to a, a false gospel or adding to the gospel that Paul was, tre- was teaching. This has to be essential to biblical leadership role. It has to be something that's essential to us when we are leading in our daily lives. I saw a small note that was written about verse 20. It said that Paul, he held nothing back, literally. He did not lower the sail. A great test of our own preaching is to ask, am I refraining from saying something that I should be saying? Proper timing to consider, we should get the entire message presented over time. This is kind of a rhetorical question. (laughs) Do we just let people know that we go to church? I know I'm guilty of that. When I meet new people, hey, I go to church. We hope that our Christianity is just going to rub off on them, don't we? We just hope that by letting them know that we, we attend church faithfully, you know, every week and we read our Bibles and we go to Bible studies, we hope that at some point they're just going to get it, okay? But do we, at some point in time, let them know that we are only saved by grace through faith in Christ? Are we like Paul? Am I like that? Do we not say things when we should? Do we dismiss the Holy Spirit's calling because we don't feel comfortable? Well, what are some of the excuses? Don't want to mess up friendship. I'm at work. I don't have enough time. Blah, 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 blah. Right? Insert excuse. Imagine if we were like Paul, maybe even just a little. How things would change in our church, in our families, if Christ was ultimately number one in our lives. We have to remember that we have the best thing ever. And again, for the third time, it's the Bible. It's the gospel. At the point of reference, when we look at the end of verse 20, Paul states he taught in public and from house to house. I found that this implies that the Ephesian church did not have a central location as maybe our current day denominations do. They were organized locally in house churches. Probably each elder had charge over a particular house church. So again, kind of work with me here and and visually think about this. Paul's speaking to the Ephesian elders. He's equipping them, he's training them, he's getting them ready. The elders now need to go to individual house churches, right? And talk to who? The congregation, preparing them and training them. So you see how important it is, one, for elders to be prepared and trained, but we also see that when Paul was uh, 
solid in his understanding of what God wanted, he was able to pass that down and ultimately, if you want to look at it, like a, a multiplication type of effect. So, what do we do with all this? I've given you three points. Biblical leaders are examples of Christ. Biblical leaders the Lord in tough times. And biblical leaders preach and teach God's word. I hope in my time here that you got it. That these three characteristics of leaders are good things. These characteristics are good qualities that people should have. But let me be very clear. These qualities used to serve the world and taken to advance what the world says is good means we've dropped the ball. We should not be focusing on how to best serve the world, but should be focusing on how to best serve God. Those of us who are believers in Christ recognize that he is the one who is the ultimate leader. He served. He taught. He was the example that we should follow. He is the ultimate leader, having given himself up to die on the cross for our sins, suffering intensely for us so that as believers we can enjoy a relationship with his Father. This is the example of leadership we have as believers. We should stop seeking approval from the world that what we are doing is good. We need to stop seeking acceptance that our leadership style is the latest tactic to follow. We need to stop judging ourselves based on a set of principles that we do not agree with. We need to follow after him and seek to do as he has done. When we follow him, hopefully when we reach heaven, we will hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much this morning that we can enter this building, Lord, and just worship you freely. Lord, we thank you so much that we have an example that you have given us through your word of what it means to be a biblical leader. Lord, we also recognize that leadership from the world standpoint is just all these nice and, and fluffy things that just make us feel good and that most people would think are good things that we should follow. But Lord, you have clearly given us a set of principles and guidelines that say this is how we should be leaders. This is how we should lead our families. This is how we should lead our communities. This is how we should lead our church. God, I just thank you so much for that. I ask that as we lead, that this just not be another tick on the, the axe rung, that we just move on next week to Acts 21, and there's no, no change in our lives. Lord, I ask that if there's anybody here that is thinking about becoming a leader or is a leader, Lord, that these principles set root in their hearts, Lord, that as we walk out of here, Lord, don't wait till Monday morning, but that be changed today. Lord, I also pray that if there is somebody here, Lord, hearing, seeing, listening, Lord, that does not know who you are, Lord, that today be the day that they say yes to your awesome gift, Lord. That if, if they don't know where to turn or who to turn to, Lord, just find somebody here at our church, myself, Paul, Nathan, somebody, Lord, to just come and, and just ask or inquire, just figure out how do they develop that relationship. 
Lord, I again just thank you for the time that you have given me to, to just speak your, speak your words, Lord, that it was effective, Lord, that it will take root. In Jesus' name.